0: Forty days. That's how many days Jesus lived on this earth, well, so to speak, after he was raised from the dead, which we celebrated a few weeks ago on Easter. A Bible passage in Acts chapter 1 says this. After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared many times to hundreds and hundreds of people who could substantiate, and many of them did with their lives, that they saw the resurrected Jesus. They touched him, they talked to him, they ate with him, etc. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. One of the things he did, obviously, is he made a bunch of appearances, and one of those appearances we're going to look at today, this is one of the most important ones in all of the Gospels, Jesus is going to appear And have a conversation with Peter that's recorded for us in the Bible, John chapter 21. Now as human beings, probably some of the best stories that we know, the ones that we love the most, that tug at our heart the most, are redemption stories. In the movies, we love redemption stories. The Shawshank Redemption, Rocky. The story of someone that's down on their luck who has a turnaround and becomes a champion. We love such stories. Many men, much great literature, the greatest books, musicals, etc., are built around redemption stories. My favorite book of all times is Les Miserables, built around the redemption of Jean Valjean, a convict who becomes quite a great man. In the the realm of sports, we had a great redemption story earlier this year when a man who had been um, 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 let go from several teams was brought back as a backup behind... Carson Wentz, the great franchise quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, who got hurt late in the season. And then a has-been, Nick Foles, had to come in and take his place. And nobody expected them to do well in the playoffs. And they won game after game after game until they got to the end. The Super Bowl, heavily unfavored as underdogs, and they won. And he is the MVP. A redemption story. You know this man, Steve Jobs. Here he started a company called Apple, and Apple fired him. And then after several years, after Apple tanked, they brought him back, and he brought this company back to being one of the most wealthy companies in the whole world with one of the brand names that almost everyone knows, Apple. One of my favorite redemption stories of all is this man, Charles Colson. He was President Nixon's hatchet man. He was one who was involved in the Watergate scandal. He went to prison, but there his life was changed. He became Born Again, which is the title of his autobiography. And then he began a ministry to prisoners in prison because he had been a prisoner, which has become the greatest prison ministry in the history of our country and perhaps of the whole world. I think that's clearly the case. Prison Fellowship, Charles Coulson. We love redemption stories, stories of someone who did something very wrong, who failed miserably, who then was redeemed by God. Today, we're going to look at one of the great redemption stories. This one is of the great apostle Peter. And as you know, he, of course, had a great, great failure. And then out of that great failure, he met the forgiving Jesus. And not only was his life transformed, but he then became What we know is a good shepherd. Soren Kierkegaard, he's a philosopher, a Danish philosopher. He wrote this. God creates out of nothing. Wonderful, you say. Yes, to be sure. But he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. You know, we talk about the great miracles of God. You know, he could walk on water. He could change the weather. Those are great, but that's not the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is the changing of a human heart. That's pretty hard to do. And that's the business God is in. And one of the great changes of the human heart we're going to see is today as we look at the Apostle Peter, who is a man who falls very, very hard, who becomes a good shepherd of God's sheep. John chapter 21 is our text of Scripture today, verses 15 to 25. Those are our verses. You can follow along with me. It all begins with um, Peter's denial. As you know, Peter was a a very special man. He was, first of all, a follower of John the Baptist, we believe. And then when Jesus came along, he became a follower of Jesus. And Jesus selected this man to be one of his precious followers. In fact, he's the one that's usually listed first because he was the leader of the pack. He was outspoken. He was a strong, natural leader. He had some problems. He often put his foot in his mouth. In fact, he would sometimes put both feet in his mouth. He would say things that were very off the wall a number of times, but he was dearly loved by Jesus. He was very courageous. He's the one who said, I would follow you anywhere. He's the one who stepped out on the water as Jesus was walking on the water. He's the one who had the sword and said, I'll defend you, Jesus. But he's also the one who failed most miserably. Let's look at what happened. This is on the day, the night before Jesus died. Jesus told them. Them is the disciples. He's even eaten dinner with them. This very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written. He's now going to quote the Old Testament. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So Jesus at this dinner is saying this to his disciples. And this is how they respond. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now look at those words. Even if all fall away. Remember, he's sitting around a table, probably, a very low table, and around him are all of these other people with whom he's lived for three years. And he's looking at Jesus even if all these fall away, I won't. Why not? I'm different. I'm cut out of a different cloth. I mean, these guys are flaky, you know? Can you imagine what they were thinking? They're a bit flaky, but I'm not flaky, Jesus. I'm loyal. In fact, I. To, to fall away from you, Jesus, is not a part of my nature. I wouldn't do that. Here's what Jesus said Oh, Peter. Peter, this very night. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Whoa. You know, Peter's declaring his undying loyalty for Jesus, he's declaring his courage. He's declaring that he is different than any of the other disciples. After all, he's the leader of the group. He's cut out of a different cloth. But Jesus didn't think that was the case. Well, you know what happens? He wasn't cut out of a different cloth. He wasn't better than any of the other disciples. He wasn't nearly as loyal to Jesus as he thought he was. He was not the courageous man that he thought he could be. Peter didn't know himself very well. Now let me stop right here. And I would say to you without question that one of the most important traits of any human being, and I would submit to you that none of us have it naturally, none of us, For example, take a little child. You know, I I don't know if your children have done this with you, but mine did when they're, Daddy, I'm stronger than you are. They're about this big. And you go, oh, okay, yeah. They don't have a clue. Daddy, I'm smarter than you are. Okay. They're, They're five. They think they are. They think they're stronger than you. And you don't tell them differently. You just go along with their little joke. Because you know they're stupid. But they don't know that. But the truth is, that's okay for a child. But what about if that's what happens to you as you get older? And it does. And it gets worse. That was Peter. Peter said, you know, Jesus, I'm not like other people. Oh, is that right? The truth is, brothers and sisters, every one of us is like everybody else. There's no one in this room who is beyond sin. If you think you are, you've never met Satan. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Peter, Satan has asked permission to sift you as as wheat. You see, the truth is not a single person in this room, including myself, has ever met Satan. Why? Well, Satan has never been to Sheridan. Satan is not omnipresent. There's only one Satan. Now, some of his minions have been here, but he's not been here. We know where he was on this particular day. He was the master deceiver, the master evil. He was on Peter's tail that day. Peter said, I can handle Satan. No big deal. I'm courageous. I'm tough. I'm loyal. And I'm different. Jesus said, oh, no, you're not. Many of us in this room have jobs, and some of you are going to have jobs one day. In fact, all of us will. And in your job, one of the chief ingredients of your success is not going to be your intelligence. It's not going to be your IQ. It's going to be your EQ. All the the, the pundits tell us this. EQ is your emotional quotient. And if you go online today and you type in EQ or emotional quotient, you will see that the characteristics of EQ. And EQ is not how bright you are, but your ability to get along with other people. The number one characteristic of EQ is going to be self-awareness. You know who you are accurately. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans. He said, I urge you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, as God has given to each one a measure of faith. The Bible never says you're supposed to look down on yourself. We are not worms. We're not worms. We're the apple of God's eye. We're incredibly valuable. The Bible doesn't say look down on yourself, the Bible says look at yourself accurately. Maybe I'm six foot six, Michael Jordan. One of the greatest basketball players that's ever played. And certainly Michael Jordan worked hard and he was great. But it is not by accident that he was six- six. What if Michael Jordan was five feet six? You'd never know that name. Why? Well, what did he do to become six feet six? Nothing. He got born. You can bless his mother, maybe, but not him. You see, so many things of our strengths, so many things about us, we, we didn't develop them. They're gifts to us. They've been given to us. A person who looks at themselves rightly, you know that. And I would submit to you that one of the first and most important characteristics of any follower of Jesus is accurate self-awareness. The first thing you know is, You're just like everybody else. You've heard that great line before. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's not a single one of us who can say that you're better than anybody else. And none of us could say, oh, such and such is a sinner, but I would never do that. Oh, you wouldn't. What if your circumstances were different? What if the temptation was much greater? The truth is we're all pretty much the same. And the person who has high self-awareness knows who they are. But Peter didn't have that at this point. But he's about to get it. And how is he going to get self-awareness? Through failure. That's usually how we get it. As Jesus was speaking, you know what happened. Peter then finds himself. He sneaks into the place where Jesus is being tried and then Peter kind of slinks away and goes over to a fire and he's warming himself, trying to hide and watch what's going on. And somebody notices him and says, hey, aren't you one of those followers of this Jesus guy? Oh, no, not me. Somebody else says, ah, 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 you sound like a Galilean. Aren't you, from, aren't you a follower of that Jesus? Oh, no, 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 not me. A third time, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Oh, by God, I swear on a stack of Bibles. I don't know the man. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine that look? I don't think it was. It was. And Peter got the point. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Now Peter's going to get a little tiny glimpse of self-awareness. He knows who he is now. Well, the, what's going to happen next? Well, this all happened on what we would call Good Friday. Jesus was now on the cross, and peters he's just bawling his eyes out somewhere because he knew what he had done. He figured it was finished for him. Here he had followed this very charismatic, incredibly great person who could walk on water and and command the weather and raise people from the dead and, and heal people who were blind. And it was all over. Jesus is dead and Peter is an absolute abject failure. But then on Easter Sunday morning, what happened? The Bible tells us that Jesus, after he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women, Jesus appeared to Peter. We don't know what happened, but I'll bet that was quite a time. I'll oh, but Peter, when he saw Jesus, he bawled his eyes out and Jesus said, Peter, I love you. I love you. I love you. I forgive you. You're my man. I don't think Peter could stop crying. But then we know from the Bible that night Jesus appeared to Peter with the other disciples and they're just thrilled to death. And then a week later Jesus appeared again and now Thomas is present. And they're, they're stunned, but they're still in Jerusalem. But after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread was over, they made their way back north to Galilee. And last week we talked about Jesus out fishing again, the great fish finder. And he talks to his disciples, and Peter's one of them. And finally, after Jesus has lit a fire, maybe brought to mind the fire that Peter was around a few weeks earlier, Jesus now is going to have a conversation with Peter in which he's going to restore him. Here's what happens. When they had finished eating, it's the first heavenly fish fry, I guess. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, I underlined those words, truly love, and the word love, for a reason. Because in the original text of the Bible, in Greek, those words are different. The word there truly love is the word agape. You've probably seen it. Maybe you've seen it's written like this Oh, That's the top word there. That's the word that, that, uh, that's used of God's sacrificial, unconditional, Godlike love. Now, the word below it, phileo, that's a Greek word that we use in our language in the word Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia. Adelphos means brother, phileo means love, the city of brotherly love. So the difference between these words are that's the the highest form of love is agapao, but the the love of a friend is phileo. And so Jesus asks Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me like God loves? No, the pre-denying Peter would have said, you bet your sweet bippy I do. I love you like God loves. But now he's kind of had a comeuppance. He says, Jesus, I can't claim that. But I'll tell you, you're my friend. And then Jesus says, "Simon, do you love me more than these who's he with?" He's with his other disciples. Now remember what he said before? Even if all these rumdums fail you, I would never do that. Jesus, "Okay, Peter. You thought you were better than other people. Peter, do you love me more than you than these other people love me?" Peter's not going to go there. He said, I'm not going to compare myself to others anymore. Because you know what I'm like, but you do know that I love you. Oh, Peter, you're getting the message. I want you to care for my little lambs. But he's not done. A second time, Simon, son of John, do you have this godlike love for me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that you're my friend. I love you. Jesus said, Yeah. Take care of my sheep Peter. A third time he said to him Simon son of John now Jesus changes his word. Jesus now doesn't say this word of God's love he says Peter do you love me as a friend? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time but Jesus had to because Simon denied him three times and Jesus is going to restore him three times. Do you love me? Peter said Lord You're the one that knows all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, you're right. Feed my sheep. Oh, now Peter has gotten it. His comparisons with other people, they're gone. His boastful statements about how loyal and courageous he is, they're gone. He now starts to understand who he is. And Jesus said, now, Peter... Now, you qualify to lead my sheep. If you don't know who you are, Peter, you will not. I don't want you to touch my sheep. If you think you're better than other people, Peter, I don't want you to be near my sheep. I don't want you to go anywhere near my precious lambs because you'll destroy them. If you think you're hot stuff, Peter, I do not want you to begin to pastor my people because you are not qualified. What qualifies you, Peter, It's the fact that you know that without me, you can do nothing. You know that. Peter's a changed man. Well, it's not over. Jesus is now going to tell Peter what's going to happen to him. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. We don't know this from the Bible, but we know it from a very substantial early church tradition, what happened to Peter. He was imprisoned by, um, he, he was imprisoned by uh, Emperor Nero, and then uh, he was put into a, what's called the Mamertine Prison, which is a dark, dank, horrible, horrible dungeon, He tells us that he was chained to a wall from between eight to nine months and tortured. There's one tradition that says just before Peter was about to be executed, his wife was killed. And his last words to his wife was, be courageous, I'm going to join you soon. And then Nero issued the decree that Peter was to be executed by crucifixion. Peter said, I'm not worthy to be executed like my Lord Jesus was. And it was Peter who requested that he be crucified upside down. And that's how he died. Do you think this man was humbled? Do you think he had good self-awareness? Amazing. So Jesus said, yeah, when you're a young, robust man, you get to to, to choose uh, what's going to happen to you. But when you get old, you're going to lose that. Now, you might think, that Peter, after this restoration by Jesus, this guy is a changed man. Everything's going to be new for Peter. It's not. You know what he's going to do next? Peter's going to turn to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, what's going to happen to John? Jesus, says, Peter, that's none of your business. I'm talking about you. You follow me. Here's what he said. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which, John, by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. And those are... That's the restoration of Peter. And Jesus designed him to be the shepherd now. It is Peter that God called to first bring the gospel now to his own Jewish people. And then it was Peter who went and confirmed the receiving of the gospel by the Samaritan people. And it was Peter who first brought the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles, to us. Why? Why? Because this man now was a good shepherd. Let me talk for a few minutes about what a good shepherd is like. Because we're here at First Baptist Church in a process looking for a good shepherd. We're in a process of looking for someone who will be the next senior pastor of this church who we, we desperately pray will be a good Shepherd. That's a very important word. You see, from the earliest times in the Bible, this is in the book of Genesis, God was called a shepherd. This is Jacob. Jacob blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. One of the earliest Titles that the early believers gave to God as they called him their shepherd. Why? Well, the reason they called him their shepherd because many of these people who God chose to be his leaders were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd. Many of God's great leaders were real shepherds. And probably that occupation which best exemplifies what it means to lead God's people, is a shepherd. And so David wrote these words that we know so well. David said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And then we find that in the Psalms, David is referred to as a shepherd. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens from tending the sheep. He brought him to to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. So there's some qualities you want in a shepherd. You want a shepherd to be somebody who has the the heart of a shepherd. Integrity of heart. That's character. But also someone that has the skills of a shepherd. Not just somebody who has a even high character. You need certain skills, which David had. He was both a leader and a shepherd of God's people. But shepherding is not an easy job. Why? Because shepherds have to deal with sheep. And guess what? Sheep aren't all that good. The animal, the object, the thing to which the Bible mainly refers to us as people is sheep. That's what we are. And that's not a compliment. Well, it's sort of. We'll see. Here's Jesus. Jesus has these crowds of people all around him. They're clamoring, hey, teach us something about God. But most of them said, hey, heal us. We know you got power. And Jesus looks at the crowds and he said his heart went out to them because he's a good shepherd. Why? Because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now the quality of being sheep without a shepherd was something that was very, very common in that world. But God said we are like sheep. Well what does it mean to be a sheep? First of all The first thing that we notice about the sheep is that they're precious. You see, in in the world of the Bible, dogs were not man's best friend. Dogs were one of man's great enemies. They were like hyenas. They were not domesticated. The animal that that slept in your bed with you, that you gave a name, that you kept inside your house, was the sheep, was the lamb, not the dog. They were the source of meat. They were the source of clothing. They were the source of milk. They were used for sacrifices. That's where the family kept its wealth. In sheep, they're precious. And the first thing that any of us who care for sheep needs to know is that God's sheep are precious. How precious? How precious is everyone that you've laid eyes on? We're so precious that God would give His own Son to die for us. That's how precious we are. We're infinitely precious. And so were sheep in that society. But they were also dependent animals. Sheep are weird because almost all of the animals that God has created have some means of defense. But not the sheep, not not the lambs. They've got double jeopardy. Not only are they defenseless, they taste good. That means everyone wants to kill them and eat them. They can't fight back. They're not fast, but they're tasty. So are we. They're prone to wander and get lost. We have a bit of that in us. They're fearful and timid. You see, anyone who has shepherded sheep know, sheep know that sheep are, are afraid of water. Did you know that? That's why it says in the shepherd's psalm that he makes us to lie beside quiet waters because sheep are afraid of water. They may be thirsty, but they won't drink fast-running water. They need the shepherd to make a little pool of stationary water. Then they can drink. They're very timid, very fearful, as we are. They're very easily stressed out. We know what that's like living in this society today. Many of us are oftentimes stressed out. We work hard, and the stress is more than we can take. That's common among sheep. They're also very prone to disease. Sheep are not one of the more robust animals that God ever made. They're very prone to all kinds of diseases, and a shepherd must take care of that. They're dirty animals. Their wool collects all kinds of burrs and insects and junk. And uh, they're, they're, just, they're not clean animals. They tend to follow, just like the, the, the Pied Piper of Hamelin. They're not too smart. And they're naughty. And so God knows that sheep need shepherds. They need somebody who loves them, even though they're dirty, because they're dependent, because they're prone to follow and go wrong paths, because they are defenseless. They need a protector, a provider, someone who cares for them all the time. And so God raised up people and said, you are my shepherds. But the problem is that many of God's shepherds, past, present, and I fear future, many are not good shepherds. Many of the people we call leaders, we call pastors, are not good shepherds. How do I know that? I just read the Bible. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. He's saying the leaders that I have chosen to care for my people... You have not cared for my people. You're scattering my people and you're destroying my people. This is the prophecy of the great Ezekiel, chapter 34, one of the most important chapters on shepherds. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds. You clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the choice animals, but you have not taken care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so God says in this chapter, this is what I'm going to do. I'm wiping you all out. No more because you have been called by me to care for my people. You've not cared for my people. You've cared only for yourselves. This is what I'm gonna do, God says. I am gonna raise up a good shepherd. And guess what happened? Someone came on the scene hundreds of years later and said, here I am. I am the good shepherd. What am I like? I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus now, the good shepherd, says, I'm here. So what does Jesus do? He then passes this baton. To Peter, says Peter, now I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to feed my sheep. And then what does Peter do? He passes the baton in 1 Peter, this is what he says, to the elders among you. Because now he gives the elders the responsibility to shepherd God's sheep. I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, But because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So the baton has been passed. God is the shepherd And God raised up shepherds, but many of those shepherds were not good. And so God says, I'm going to bring to you the good shepherd. And the good shepherd comes, and now he passes the baton to Peter and says, Peter, I want you to feed my lambs. And then Peter passes the baton to us. Feed my sheep. First Baptist Church, as I said, is in a process. We're looking for a good shepherd. And may I suggest, in closing, some of the items you'll find in the life and the restoration of Peter, for someone who is a good shepherd, first of all, they're self-aware. They know who they are and they know who they're not. They don't put take on airs. They don't think they're better than anybody else because it's not true. They've been a recipient of God's redemption. They know what grace is like. They know what it feels like to have sinned and been forgiven by God. That's an essential quality of a shepherd. They they understand that their their primary submission is to the chief shepherd because it's his flock. They have a genuine love for God's sheep. And what does that mean? They love dirt. They love dirt. Not because we're happy that people are dirty, but because they love people who are dirty because that's what sheep are like. We don't say, I'm staying away from them because they're not following God. No, those are the very people that God loves. They lead And they feed, they protect, and they defend. And they know their sheep and are known by their sheep. These are just some of the qualities of a good shepherd. And our Lord Jesus Christ took this man who was so incredibly arrogant, humbled him, and then lifted him up again to be a good shepherd. May God provide that for this church as well. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are a good shepherd. Lord Jesus Christ, we can't imagine anyone in the universe better than you. You alone are worthy. You love us. At the cost of your very life, we thank you. And as this wonderful church looks for a a new shepherd, may you be the selector. And when you select, may we rejoice in what you have done. And to that end, Heavenly Father, I pray that all of us would um, follow you as faithful sheep of the good shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.